Well, good morning again. It's nice to have my wife up here because then you guys will watch her more than me. I like that. I don't blame you, by the way. <laughs> um, if you're visiting with us this morning, um, Pastor Joshua, our senior pastor, is not here. Him and Karen are away on vacation for another week. So uh, I am continuing on our series in Luke. Uh, we're reading two chapters a week, and uh, these two chapters were just awesome, Luke 5 and 6. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, these chapters, they're, they're kind of rapid-fire stories here, um, and, and these chapters kind of surround the disciples. We get to see uh, what Jesus did for them, how he chose them. We get to see the extraordinary things that they saw firsthand. We get to see the criticisms they took and uh, the chart that he gave to them. So we're going to start right in the middle because we got a couple of questions on this, and this is sort of at the heart of the issue. So Luke 5, uh, 29 to 34, Jesus has just called Levi, also known as Matthew, uh, to be his disciple. Levi was a tax collector. Um, that's not like being an H&R Block representative today. A tax collector back then was a despised profession. Tax collectors were people who worked for the Roman government. Uh, they were looked on as traitors by the Jewish people. So that was one reason they were despised. And then, to make matters worse, they were known for being thieves um, and always taking extra. So Jesus walks by Levi and says, why don't you join me? In other words, why don't, why don't you follow me and become one of my disciples? And Levi doesn't think, well, that sounds terrible. Uh, quite the opposite. He says, that sounds amazing, because this was quite an opportunity. Um, and so he leaves his booth and follows Jesus and immediately decides to throw a party. And that's where we pick it up. All right, here we are. And Levi made him, being Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often. And after prayer, and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of other Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is still with them? There's too much celebration going on. That is their criticism. They're too happy. They're feasting and having parties. They're supposed to be miserable. They're supposed to also be walking through all the very rigid things that we as Pharisees do. We fast in these hours, on these days, and blah, blah, blah. Like they have just very rigid. Jesus' followers don't do that. Jesus' followers are feasting and laughing and telling loud stories. And they're inviting sketchy people to these parties. That is uh, uh, not acceptable to the Pharisees. 
And Jesus explains, look, they're feasting because of me, because I'm here with them. Why wouldn't they feast? It's like at the wedding, the, the bridegroom is still there, they're supposed to be rejoicing. And then he goes and he, 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 make, he gives this analogy. He, he, he talks about new wine and old wine and wineskins. And he says, look, there is new wine coming and you can't put new wine in old wineskins or it'll stretch it. We need a whole new wineskin. And he's talking about himself and his kingdom. He is saying, I am the new wine and so there's going to be a new wineskin. My kingdom, in other words, is different than what you're used to. In my kingdom, there will be feasting and there will be joy. This is good news. Unless, unless you don't think that you should be joyful. Unless you think that holiness is a stern face. Well, why is there so much parting? Well, it's because Jesus was on a roll, that's why. Here's, we gotta step back and look at what led to this, because it's one thing after another, and it's pretty awesome. It starts actually at the end of chapter four, which we read last week. I hope you guys are reading along here. Um, it's, it's, these chapters are just so rich. Uh, what we're doing every week too, midweek, we're doing a little video talking about uh, what we're reading, and so we're taking questions and things like that. So uh, watch for that, and feel free to, uh, to be submitting questions and things. Um, at the end of chapter 4, uh, verse 38, it says, Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon is Peter, Simon Peter. Um, and uh, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. Um, and uh, he, now just imagine the scene here. When my kids have a high fever, it's a little scary. And then, okay, well, let's give some ibuprofen, or do we need to go straight to the doctor or to the emergency room so they can get fluids in or, or whatever? We have ways that we deal with this, but it's kind of scary. Back in the day, you didn't. So a high fever immediately is very, very scary. Nothing to, to treat whatever infection they might want to be dealing with. So this was a very tense situation. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her... And immediately she rose and began to serve them. <laughs> She's like running to get tea. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on just a second there, Candace. Why don't you sit down? And well, you know, <laughs> clear your head a little bit. Maybe he called her mom. I don't know. It depends on how long they were married, I suppose. So we see this incredible thing happen right in their, in their midst. And this kicks off a run of really cool miracles and exciting moments. Chapter five begins with Jesus and he's, he's teaching right on the, 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 uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee and, and there's so many people that he just kind of runs out of room so he stands on a boat and he, he preaches and when he's done, he looks over and the people with him are James and, and, and John and Peter and it's their boats and they're fishermen. Jesus is not a fisherman. They are fishermen and that previous night, they had fished all night long and caught nothing. That's unfortunate if this is your business. <laughs> they caught nothing. They're exhausted, and Jesus is like, here, let's go, let's go fishing. And they're like, okay, Peter's like, only because it's you. That's <laughs> basically what he says. Just because it's you, we'll go fishing, whatever. And Jesus says, okay, now throw your nets out. They throw the nets out. Now, after hours and hours and hours of them catching nothing, when Jesus tells them to throw their nets out, everything changes. 
instantly there's so many fish jumping into the nets, the nets start breaking. They're trying to pull them up. The, 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 the fish jump in the boat and there's so many that they're starting to sink and they're like flopping around and whipping Peter in the face and all this kind of thing. And he's freaking out. He's absolutely freaking out. He's going, oh Lord, I'm an unclean man, depart from me. Like he's realizing this is more than just a regular person. And Jesus, I don't know, he must have given another miracle so the boat wouldn't uh, sink or whatever. I don't know, because it says they started sinking. Um, so they, they get back over to shore and Jesus says, from now on, you will be fishers of men. And, and, and they join him full-time in his ministry. That's a good day to join a ministry, isn't it? So why are you here? Well, funniest story. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a good day. Now, he keeps going. Another thing they see, he walks into this city, and, 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 and he's doing his thing, and he's healing people. All of a sudden, you hear this call, this guttural, like, Lord, please, if you're able to heal me, please. They look over, and it's a leper. This is it's a big deal. You don't want to be close to a le lepers. You're not supposed to be right there. Being a leper in the ancient world, as many of you know, was worse than a death sentence because you, you, there was nothing to treat it. You would waste away and you were so utterly contagious that you would have to be living on the outskirts, um, maybe with other lepers. And if anyone came close to you, you would have to yell that you were unclean. And they were very easy to see because of the way they looked and they would wear rags. So here's this man who you have to figure this was very evident. So his skin might have been blotchy and he could have been missing, literally missing fingers or whatever. It was just a horrible disease and a tragic thing. And here is this man who probably was treated like a monster from everyone in his society. And he's on his knees in the middle of the town saying, please, if you're able. And Jesus walks over to him. Imagine the, what's he doing? Did he stay away? Does he know? Does he know? Of course he knows. He's Jesus. Does he know though? Has he ever been here? Does he know about Harry? You know? And Jesus walks over to Harry and he touches him. And when he touches him, he doesn't get unclean, but rather Harry gets Jesus cleanliness. He gets his, his, his power into him and suddenly he's restored. Suddenly he's whole. And the disciples are like, <laughs> he keeps going. It's just one thing after another. Jesus is, is teaching inside of this house and it's packed. Now this time, Jesus is like full-on celebrity rabbi at this point, okay? Um, he is, he's so well known now that Pharisees are coming from Jerusalem and Judea, which is a long trip. They've made this long trip to come up there and hear, okay, what is this guy actually saying and what is he doing? And they're packed in this house and he's teaching and they're sneering because they know better than him about everything. And, and people are trying to get in to, to get healed, but they can't. They're standing room only, and they can't get through the door. Now, there's one man who has never been able to walk, and he has friends who really care about him. I love this. Man, I love this picture. His friends try to bring him in, and they say, get out, get out. This is, this is you know, this is serious stuff. You know, by the way, there were assumptions when people were sick or when they were paralyzed. Did you know that? The assumption back in the day was that they deserved whatever it is they were dealing with. God had given them this affliction to punish them for something. 
Isn't that horrible? The assumptions people make. So here's this guy who's probably lived under that shame his whole life. And his friend's trying to bring him in and they won't let him in. So one of the guys, he says, what about the roof? <laughs> Somebody brings him a ladder. A lot of them had ladders maybe out or maybe he like went and got one. They're, they're hauling him up there. They're trying, not to, they're trying not to drop their buddy. You know, careful, careful. <laughs> you know, they get up there and at this time he's probably like, guys, forget it. It's not worth it. Forget it. I don't want to make a scene. And here they are. And they get him up there. They go, oh, we're doing this. We're doing this. And they start breaking the roof to get him in. Imagine being in there. You're listening to Jesus. You're, maybe they're having this deep, intense conversation with the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, dust starts falling. <laughs> it drops right on one of the Pharisees' heads. You know, looking at, what's going on? They're like, oh, sorry. Um, we have Steve here. And they like, lower Steve you know, Steve, uh, Rabbi, maybe you could just do your thing. And he looks up there and he's so impressed. He's loving it. All the Pharisees are like, how dare they interrupt? And he's probably like, you guys are awesome. <laughs> you guys are awesome. And, and he, he heals them and he forgives his sins right there. At first they're like, who could forgive his sin? And he's like, what's harder to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? And he must have let that hang for a second. Hey, Steve, why don't you rise up and walk? <laughs> he gets up. And they're like, whoa! And everyone's heads are exploding now. Now the disciples, they're like, I can't believe this. And the Pharisees are like, this is so wrong! And the tension just keeps going up here with them, right? People fall more in love with them or they fall more in hate with them. Can you fall in hate with somebody? Does that work? I would ask you, but whatever. And I love this sentence right here. Amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Isn't that a good sentence? Finally, we see when he calls Levi, Matthew, and he comes to this very cool gig and Matthew throws this party for them. And that's where this starts to come out, this resentment more and more. They resent the fact that there's joy. They resent the fact that there's feasting. Shouldn't be this way. But Jesus, I think he knows. Sometimes I think he really challenges us on the stuff we're being dumb about, stubborn about. These guys are being dumb about a lot of things, and Jesus is like, all right. And I think he did this. <laughs> They're walking on the Sabbath, and his disciples are hungry. This isn't a paying gig, by the way. You become a disciple, and it's like, man, like, this is it. You follow me, and you trust that we're going to be able to eat. They're hungry, and they're walking through a field, and, and Jesus said, let's, let's pick some grain. Well, people didn't like it because it was the Sabbath, but his disciples are hungry, and they need breakfast. And the Pharisees are out there going, you did work on the Sabbath. How dare you? And there's just more and more resentment building up. So here's what he does. In a couple hours, it's time to go to church, right? It's time to go to synagogue. It's on the Sabbath. So he goes, he steps in, and while he's there, while they're already upset at him for all these other things and for having his breakfast on the Sabbath, they're already upset. And Jesus looks over and he sees this guy with a withered hand. And I think he went, yes. <laughs> he's like, hey, Bobby. <laughs> I'm all with the names this morning. I don't know why. Um, he calls him over, and he reaches out, and he touches his hands, and he gets healed, like, right there. And the Pharisees are going, no! No! It's like when Michael sees Toby, right? No! No! 
Some of you got that joke. It's that. He's like, no, I can't believe this. This is not right. They say they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They're not happy. Finally, here's where it all is leading to. It's leading to this moment, the Sermon on the Plain, as it's called. He spends all night choosing the rest of his disciples, and he comes down with them, and he does this. I'm going to have to read this behind me, not because I'm getting old, but because the lights are just funny. (laughs) He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. People are flocking to him like never before. They're coming from the entire region. Now they're coming from what was like the the home of the Canaanites, like the dirtiest place was Tyre and Sidon. That's where Jezebel was from originally. This was like, you know, and those people are, so everyone is coming to see this Jesus and to see his power and to see if it's true, and they're saying, yes, it is true, and the disciples are there right in the middle of it all. They watch all of this. Now, what he says next, he says to them, to his disciples, he lifted his eyes up on his disciples and he said this, these familiar words, blessed are the poor, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. He's speaking to his disciples and saying this. Why? Because they've just seen all of this happen. They've seen the destitute become blessed by coming to Jesus. They've seen one person after another turn from sorrow to praise because he intervened in their lives, because his kingdom came to town. They've seen the poor provided for. In fact, they were the poor. They were the poor fishermen, and suddenly he provides them with the greatest catch they have ever seen in their entire lives and ever will see. He's seen the hungry people satisfied in that same event. And he's also seen the hungry people satisfied as they were hungry marching through the fields and and he just breaks every convention and he says, you will eat and be whole. And you know what? We're going to do a lot of eating. We're going to do a lot of feasting. Blessed are you who are hungry for you will be filled. He's seen them weeping and laughing. Remember Peter's mother-in-law? Remember the leper, remember the paralytic and all the tears that were shed on their behalf for years and years and he saw their fortunes utterly reversed and turned to laughter and praise. They all watched this happen and they themselves, the disciples, had been hated and reviled and spurned for being drunkards, for one thing, from the Pharisees on account of Jesus. He tells them in the midst of all of this, rejoice, rejoice. These 
words are called the Beatitudes. And there's another place in Matthew chapter five uh, where he does this, and it's slightly different. It's a different occasion. Um, because, you know, <laughs> I mean, you just heard Doug say he's preached on the Father heart of God for 40 years and it's essentially the same message or he adapts it, right? Well, Jesus would do the same thing, preach on a lot of the same themes and adapt them in different situations. This one is slightly different and I think he's drawing from the immediate examples at hand and the immediate things that they have seen just in these last few weeks, all the things that we just read. They've watched all of this happen. But the Beatitudes are some of the most confusing and, and, and they've been very offensive to people since they first read them. For example, rich people get offended by the Beatitudes because he's, they've wanted to be the ones who are hashtag blessed. <laughs> like, that's not fair. The poor people have also been offended because here's the connotation, and Philip Yancey points this out really well uh, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He says, really, the connotation was that it's sort of like saying lucky. Like, you guys are so lucky. You're so lucky, you who are poor. Man, I wish I was poor. <laughs> You're so lucky, you who are mourning. You're so lucky, you who have nothing to eat and are hungry. Can you see how that could be offensive to poor people? They're like, it's not fun and I'm not lucky. <laughs> Do you see? This has been an offensive thing. Now, I want to give you the words of Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite scholars, uh, and I will, I've shared this before, and I will share this again till the end of time. Here he says this. He says, the Beatitudes are not teachings on how to be blessed. Pause. Continue. They are not instructions to do anything. Pause. Breathe. Continue. Okay. They do not indicate conditions that are especially pleasing to God or good for human beings. No one is actually being told that they are better off for being poor or better off for mourning or for being persecuted and so on or that the conditions listed are recommended ways uh, to well-being before God or man. So what are they? The Beatitudes are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. They single out cases that provide proof that in him, the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, blessed are you. Yes, even you. But, but I'm poor. Blessed are you. The kingdom is coming. But I'm mourning. Blessed are you who are mourning for the kingdom is coming. You will not mourn forever. Why? Because Jesus is here. You see this? It's about Jesus arriving on the scene. And this is what they've seen over and over again is destitute people in really hard situations. And Jesus comes on the scene and he shows them that they are blessed. Do you hear me? You know who isn't blessed? Those who are self-sufficient. Those who don't see and acknowledge their own need for grace. That's why he reverses the blessings in the next verses. He says, woe to those who are rich. Woe to those who are full. Woe to those who laugh and to those who are well spoken of. Because if you rely on the present comforts, you will discover that they are not enough. Y'all need Jesus. 
so do I. You need his grace. That's what being truly blessed is. We cheapen it so much today. What is blessed? Blessed. I got a new car. Hashtag blessed. Okay, you know, whatever. That's good. Anytime that we, uh, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. So it's good to say yes and to add to thank God. But it's bigger than that, see? Because his kingdom has come for us. His kingdom's come for every single person who will have them. Yes, even the poor. Yes, even the broken. Yes, even the poor of spirit. Yes, those who are mourning. Yes, those who are on the outskirts of society. Yes, those who are hated. Yes, those who are looked down upon. Every single one of those is blessed because Jesus came on the scene. That's what Beatitudes say. Blessed are you, O miserable ones, when Jesus brings you joy. That's from the Hague translation. (laughs) Remember now, remember he was speaking to his disciples primarily. And hey, wonder of wonders, I'm also speaking to a bunch of disciples of Jesus. Most of you would would self-identify that way. You follow him. You love him. You call him your Lord. You call him your king. And I want to say, blessed are you. Jesus has come. His kingdom has come for you. Yes, even you. Yes, even me. Blessed are you who are sorrowful and can't quite get out of that sorrow. He came for me too. He came for each and every one. The kingdom is ours because it's his. He's come and he's given it to us and he's, he's given us every reason for joy that overcomes circumstances. He's, given our sin, uh, he's forgiven our sins. He's saved our souls and he's promised us life and brought us deep and abiding hope for the everyday. There is reason, friends, for feasting and joy. There is reason for all of us in here for feasting and joy. We're not meant to be a bunch of straight-laced, sorrowful people. He's given us every reason for celebration. He's given us every reason for feasting. Now, if this is true, if we are blessed, and if feasting and partying is supposed to be ours, let's look at what he says to his disciples next. He says this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. If you are truly blessed, then take that blessing and give it away, he says. Not just to those who you love, that's easy, anybody can do that, but to those who you call your enemies. Last week at the National Prayer Breakfast, a man named Arthur Brooks, uh, he he wrote a book called Love Your Enemies, and they asked him to speak uh, that morning, and he, he spoke for about 18 minutes, and it was a wonderful speech. I encourage you to look it up. You can find it online. Uh, it was not at all even like a 
political partisan speech. He was just speaking into this polarized kind of society and saying, hey, how about we all love our enemies like Jesus said, huh? And uh, the reaction was both shocking and utterly predictable at the same time. You know what the reaction was? Yeah, well, we just can't. <laughs> it was like, do, do whatever. Like, they were, people were mad at him. They were legitimately angry. How could you possibly suggest that we should love our enemies in this day and age? Because things are so desperate and so urgent and so terrible right now that loving your enemies just is like a little antiquated. You know, back in Jesus' day, it was a little easier to love your enemies. You know, because back then, you know, like all you had was like, you know, yeah, a third of the world that was enslaved. And all you had was like, you know, bloodthirsty emperors and governors, these puppet governors who were just as bloodthirsty. Look up Pontius Pilate if you don't believe me. Like all these, uh, like all they had were Roman soldiers who could do basically whatever they wanted to the citizenry. And there was always like revolt and you choose your sides and how dare you become a tax collector and how dare you become a zealot and how dare all of this. Like all, there was so much tension in this society. And he tells them, love your enemies. You know what our problem is today? We don't really have a lot of real enemies. <laughs> I'm being serious. Do we have like, I mean, maybe some of y'all do. I don't know. I mean, I don't see, like, who are our real enemies? I feel like, it's not like we have, you know, ISIS marching through our streets or like Nazi tanks or anything. Like, we don't have this kind of stuff here. And so I feel like, even though that's an incredible blessing, I feel like we look around and we go, well, we better find some enemies. And so who do we find? We find the person across the street that voted for the other candidate. Like, as if that's your enemy. And now, now love your enemies has to be applied to the political realm because we don't have actual enemies who are trying to kill us all the time. God forbid. So, why do we do that? Do you know why I think it is? I think it's because we watch too much news. Because everyone in the news is telling you, guys, times are so desperate. It's never been this bad before. It's so bad. Even our country, like, it's so bad right now, this is the worst we've ever had it. It's like, do you know what happened in 1861 to 1865? Do you know that, like, we had, like, hundreds of thousands of people were, were blowing each other? Like, do you know that's true? Like, do you know that we had, like, slavery in this country for a really, do you know that's, like, do you think this is the worst it's ever been? Or, or, or whatever the case, like it, things are so bad right now, the earth is about to burn up and things are so bad right now that our faith is about to collapse because of lack of religious freedom. I'm like, you guys, this is fear that the enemy is pushing. And we are called to be people who feast and celebrate, not who are afraid. Here's the truth of it, guys. People of almost any culture in the history of mankind You'd be hard-pressed to find any one of them that would not trade places with us today if they could. We are immensely blessed. And I don't mean to say we don't have problems. We do. We do have issues. I know that and things to work through. But it's not true that, that we're so desperate that suddenly we can't really love our neighbors because there's too much at stake. And that's what the political world brings us. It says there's too much at stake. We can't afford to love our neighbors. That was a cute thing that Jesus said back in the day, but times are just more severe than back then. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not even close. What I'm telling you is this. You're blessed. 
You're not hard-pressed. You're not pushed back in a corner and about to lose your faith. None of these things are true. The world wants you to think this because they want ratings. Fear is currency. And what I want you to know is you don't have to be afraid. Do you know why? Because you are blessed. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are, are you who are meek. Blessed are you who are going through a really hard time. Blessed are you who are depressed, my friends. Blessed are you who can't seem to dig their way out of anxiety because Jesus is here and he's coming for you. Blessed are you who continue relive the terrible things that your parents told you because the kingdom is here and Jesus is here and he wants to heal that. This is the truth. Jesus has brought us a banquet table full of everything we need and we as his people can be known for feasting at that table with one another and inviting the world into it. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to look across the street at that person who voted different or at the person who's on TV that got elected and we didn't like and, and, and have vitriol toward them. We don't need to hold contempt for them. That's what the Pharisees did and what the Pharisees would demand. We don't need to follow the new Pharisees. We follow a different rabbi. We follow a different rabbi. And that's our opportunity to do it his way and to look at people with whom we disagree and say, you know what? Jesus loves that person, so I'm gonna love them too. In fact, I might even invite him over for a feast. How about that? And your other friends, when they see him, we're like, you know about that person's political stance. And you're like, yes, I do. <laughs> Blessed are you, friends. You have, 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 have a claim to joy. You have a claim to feasting. You have the right to feast. You have the right to not be afraid and to not buy into all the hype. Jesus is here. What else do we need? Let's pray.